Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Been looking forward to this one. I'm going to introduce you to someone who we had on the Soul Talk podcast before. An amazing episode, amazing human being, one of the most uh, kindest, authentic human beings I've had the pleasure to, to connect with. Uh, she's really amazing. New York Times bestselling author of Calling in the One, amazing book if you haven't read it, Seven Weeks to Attracting the Love of Your Life, and New York Times bestselling author of Conscious Uncoupling, the amazing Catherine Woodward Thomas. Welcome. Thank you, thank you Kate. It's great to be here with you. I, I remember where where I was physically in the last podcast that we did. Oh my god! <laughs> which is so unusual because it was years ago. But I remember the conversation and how lit up I was by you. So we really were in the zone, and I'm just so happy to be back again. I think we did that interview before Conscious Uncoupling was written. I think so. Yeah. I think it was before that, like about two, two, three years ago, <clears throat> when well, I first came. When Longer, first, yeah, because Conscious Uncoupling came out, you know, five or six years ago now. Must have been just, no, it was, it was, it was. It was, was right was around the out. time? Must okay, okay. Because the podcast has been out about three years. So. Ah, but we, okay. But we didn't focus on Conscious Uncoupling. No, we talked about So coping. today we're going to okay, good. go you. in that direction of Conscious <laughs> Uncoupling. And uh, I want to just tap into your wisdom. I, there's, there's a lot of questions I have. I'd love to just just dive in and ask, how, how did conscious uncoupling come about? How did that start? You, know, you, wrote, you wrote Calling in the One, and you know, that's kind of a seemingly happy topic, Calling in the One, but conscious uncoupling, most people don't go into a relationship thinking, oh, I want to uncouple. So how did that come about for you to write the book? Well, you know, most of the contributions that any of us make come out of our own difficult journey and finding our way forward in spite of, and maybe, you know, the wisdom that we gain because of is what ends up feeding our contribution. But I think, you know, looking back, it started from when I was in the crib and, you know, my parents were warring with each other and, you know, they had a terrible divorce. I mean, they were two, you know, pretty decent people. I mean, my father, you have to think of my dad is like this guy who had, who, who ended up being an elementary school teacher. And then he was like the beloved principal of the school for all the elementary school kids. So like a really good guy. And my mother, who was also a school teacher and, you know, also a very decent person, but the combination of them together was just, you know, explosive when they were getting divorced and they did both of them just behave so badly at the end of love. So this is indeed what happened. Most of us know about the unconscious uncoupling aspect where, 
you know, decent people just start doing kind of horrible things to each other and hoarding money and lying and stealing and, you know, putting the kids in the middle and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that divorce, that bad divorce defined, I would say, the first two decades of my adult life. And, and really outpictured as very toxic patterns because of the way that I internalized their divorce. What I made, what I made it mean about me that my father ended up leaving. I mean, I ended up having parental alienation is what it's called, where you lose contact mm-hmm. with one of your parents because it's so impossible for them to get along. That was a very defining experience for me because I internalized it as you know, everyone always leaves, men never stay, no one's really there for me, I'm not valuable enough to stay. And and mm-hmm. at the time, my mother was suing him for $5,000 of back child support. I do remember that I was 10 at the time. And, and uh, so instead of giving her the $5,000, he negotiated, he'd never see me again, he'd give up parental rights. So, you know, in my universe, I'm sold for $5,000. How valuable, <laughs> am, you know, how unvaluable am I? Yeah. So, so, you know, we, as children, we internalize this, we make meaning, we make stories in order to try and grok it, you know, and, and, and as children, we're, we're kind of grappling with the task of understanding who we are, where we fit into this world, what's possible or not possible for us, right? Mm-hmm. So then, of course, I go through, you know, decades of, uh, very unconscious uncouplings with um, prolonged grief, complicated grief. Because if you have that kind of unresolved grief from childhood, then when you mm-hmm. go through separations as an adult, we tend to duplicate the trauma. It becomes uh, it becomes compounded trauma. I had a boyfriend all through high school who was just the most wonderful boyfriend. And then when it, we were going to get married, but when it came time to, you know, really making choices, he wanted to go into his family's business. He didn't go to college. I wanted to go to college. And we ended up breaking up. And it was a disastrous breakup. It was done so poorly. I was so mean in the way mm-hmm. that I broke up with him. And it and then he went and married somebody on the rebound the next year and it severed our connection. So I lived with dreams about him for 20 years. Mm. I dreamt, I longed for him. I felt so guilty for how unkind I was. Um, I felt that I had, you know, really damaged him in some way, but I couldn't make that up to him. So we live with, you know, the the unresolved grief. We live with the resentment, the anger towards ourselves, towards another, towards we live with sometimes, you know, if you have bad breakups, you live with kind of the the imprint of the depth of that connection that no one then can ever fill. So it becomes almost a phantom relationship that you're having. So I understand well the terrain of, of what we psychologists call complicated grief, you know, unresolved grief, resentment that doesn't ever really go away. And um, and also with the, um, with the story of, yeah, no one ever shows up for me, which then influences the choosing of people who of course will never show up for you. I mean, my particular pattern was married people or engaged people or, you know, people who were pledged elsewhere, even if that was to uh, some time of mission or work in the world that would take them away. Mm-hmm. So always there was some kind of, you know, painful pattern. So when I wrote Calling in the One, it was this miraculous breakthrough because I decided to create my life from the future I was committed to as opposed to from trying to fix the past. That was a radical 
change. And those of us who, you know, are metaphysicians understand that what we give our attention to tends to manifest. So if you're someone who's been in therapy for years, or you've been trying to sort through the traumas of your past for many years, Mm. you know, good on you for spending Mm. some time connecting the dots. But at some point, you've got to go to the future Mm. you're committed to Mm. and start to bring your consciousness into that future. Who would I need to be to be in a healthy, happy, joyful, loving partnership that is stable and nurturing. Like it's, it was so foreign to me, but uh, the, the understanding from a metaphysical per- perspective that I needed to turn away from, over, you know, from solidifying the identity I created in the past, which if we stay in that past rummaging around trying to fix ourselves too long, what we're really doing is kind of, Re, um, re-verifying over and over. See, I am a person who's damaged. I am a person who's alone. Love doesn't work for me. So as peer, people who are awake to our capacity to, to recreate ourselves and recreate our lives and be undefined by the inherited ancestry, the consciousness that we inherited, we're unlimited by that. Certainly, we learn to love our ancestors and all the human struggles, but we're not limited to that. This is your teaching now we're getting into. We are creative beings. We're universal beings. And so we say, huh, I want to create a whole new story now. You know. And so I did that with Calling in the One. But after 10 years, my beautiful husband, who is the father of my uh, my one daughter who came through my body. I now have another daughter who didn't come through my body. She's my bonus daughter. But mm. um, the, the beautiful father of my daughter and I decided to divorce, mm. to uncouple. And he had grown up uh, with also parental alienation. He lost connection with his mother because she came out as gay when he was a year old. This is back in the 50s. Very secretive, very ashamed. So she just left totally. Mm. You know, she didn't deserve motherhood because she was a lesbian or whatever the conversation was back in the 50s. But we both knew the dangers of that. So we sat together and we said, well, how are we going to make sure that our daughter has a happy childhood? And that became the beginning of conscious uncoupling. How are we going to do this well in a way that doesn't do damage to our daughter, doesn't put her in the middle with unfinished business? How, How will we need to forgive each other? What do we need to complete with each other? What do we need to be responsible for so that we're not in a blame conversation? How can we create generosity Mm. to to co-create a future Mm. of our happily even after family? Mm. I love happily even after. Now, there are a couple of questions I want to ask, but the first one I want to ask is, how did you know that your relationship was over? And how does someone know, listening, my relationship is over, you know, yeah. because because what, what what is the distinction? My relationship is over versus there's an opportunity for growth through this challenge to evolve through to a next level versus this is done. This Very is over. important. It's complete. Can you guide us there? Very important question because when I think when Gwyneth and Chris popped conscious uncoupling into the lexicon. Um, there were some myths that came up with that. And collectively, it was like, oh, this is just 
you know, it's okay and it's easy and things aren't going well, just go to the next. Um, I'm not at all about that. I'm a, I am a big believer of love and I am a big believer in commitment, long-term commitment. So I think it's very important to err on the side of caution. Uh, I think, you know, I, I also look at the, the large picture. We have to understand that, um, you know, love is a moving train. It's evolving just like all sorts of things are evolving. You know, fashion is evolving. Education is evolving. Yes. Our diets are evolving. And so are, you know, the, the templates of love. And one of the things that we are all inside of and pretty influenced by is the happily ever after story, which was created when the life span was less than 40. Wow. <laughs> and there was no mobility. <laughs> like people didn't have the choices that we have now. So as much as we are all the believers in long-term love and we aspire to that, it's not really relevant to hold ourselves accountable to that mm. any longer and to define a relationship as a failure if we do not fulfill that. Uh, what I consider a relationship as a failure is if you unconsciously, you know, collapse into the primitive impulses of hating, blaming, shaming yourself, the other person, you know, going from soulmate to soul hate. Suddenly, <laughs> soul <right>? hate. <laughs> and just letting yourself kind of stew in the primitive emotions, the primitive knee jerk fight flight reactivity that is still very common for us to go through. It's a very human experience. You know, if you wandered away from your tribe a thousand years ago, you probably would die. If you, if you separate from your partner, you probably won't die right. now. Right. Okay, so but the, but the biology is still like a thousand years ago. So we haven't quite caught up to our culture. So, um, so what do you do? How do you define this instead? Well, so, so I just need to say that the context is that serial monogamy is the new norm, not promoting it, just reporting it. Mm. That's the norm for us. We're all slated, you know, just on an average for two or three significant relationships in our lifetime. So we have to learn how to do this better. And part of that doing that better is to discern what's mm. the criteria for when to hang in there. Yes, and when to move on. I also want to point out this larger cultural context that we are at a very interesting time in the evolution of love because what the planet needs from us right now is what you are teaching. And that is self-actualization. That is to live bravely and with courage and to not be afraid to traverse the unknown path, right? To, to have courage to follow your own deeper knowing, your own wisdom. So that self-actualization in many ways is in direct opposition to what relationships were 50 years ago. You stay married through thick and through thin for the sake of the kids. You do not leave. You have fidelity to the vow that you took. That was the, that was the really the predominant cultural norm and the cultural value. So we've had a very major value shift. And sometimes those two values are at war with each other right now. So I think that it is very important to recognize that relationships do not just belong to the two people in them. They belong to a community very often, to the children, to the neighbors, to the extended family, to the circle of friends in which that couple lives. And we 
know that couples are often considered pillars of the community. That's because they do stabilize a sense of well-being in the community. And if you have a relationship breakup, you know, we want to be conscious of how that impacts other people. So one of the things that we're doing is we're looking you know, beyond ourselves is this for the greater good for all? And if not, like, how would I need to do this that would create cohesion? And some of conscious uncoupling is the value of we don't badmouth people, we don't put people into the center as much as you want to, you know, and so to to learn to go deeper with our own inner work, to, to not just act out of those primitive places. Um, I think that there has to be deep engagement on both sides just the the bottom line is with all that context I just gave you um, deep engagement from both people a deep desire to come to to come to a place um, where we have expanded our capacity to understand each other Mm -hmm. and to live with the disparity of values that we are moving up against one of the reasons why people um why people break up now, one of the reasons is because there's been a value shift. One person has grown and one person has not grown. Yes. That does not it's very hard to come together when you're at when you're not in the same values universe. And I think it's important to recognize that we're all living at a time of expedited evolution and some of us are changing very, very quickly. That is what happened to me is that I was changing rapidly. And somehow in the functionality of our home and the circumstances of being parents to a young daughter, he had the night shift, I had the day shift for several years. Our relationship became kind of functional. I didn't know enough because you can hear now in my history, I had a lot of disengagement from my father, disengagement from my mother who was a single parent I was what's called a latchkey kid where you're, you know, you came home at the age of seven to an empty home and were right. alone for hours, no engagement. And a, and, a, and a mother who didn't really engage very much after that was exhausted, was trying to date, you know, whatever was going on. She was young. She was really actually just, mm-hmm. you know, in her 20s. So I didn't, I had very low engagement with my beautiful husband i didn't i didn't know to to fight to bring him into my universe and to bring him along with me i know that now in my conscious uncoupling process you know what was my part i see that clearly i brought that lack of development into my first marriage i didn't understand that marriage is just you know we we think of the wedding and the marriage ceremony as the marriage okay now i'm married no 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 it's just the commitment to create the marriage Mm. right to create it so that high level of engagement of 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 coming back to the relationship of building the relationship i said that was off my radar really so um i think that as long as uh number one if severe abuse is happening someone is you know has a character disorder they're stealing your money they're hitting you they're hurting you they're lying constantly. You, you, you're in a sick situation. You have to step back from that relationship. The, yeah. So there are certain things that are just non-negotiable. Like we're somebody yeah. crosses that line and there's severe abuse happening. You've got to get out of that situation. Right. Right. Okay. So, but if people are trying 
and they're leaning in. I think that a lot of the work that I do now is helping people learn how to um, how to grow the skills to have healthy relationships. This is part of my uh, my soul's mission now is to really help us to learn the skills. One of the things that my dear friend Paula Young Eisendrath really points out, she wrote the beautiful book called Love Between Equals. Mm. And she really makes a case for um, the fact that we are in such a unique place in human history and our relationships, because even 50 years ago, there was always hierarchy in relationship. One person was holding more power. You know, and if you're in a traditional religious family, there's still kind of an expectation that the father is the patriarch of that family and is holding power. And so everybody kind of organizes around that one person. Where we are now is love between equals, equal partners who are now really looking to form relationships where both people hold equal power. That is not precedented before. This is an unprecedented paradigm. This is why we're all such a mess. Because <laughs> we want this for ourselves. We want to be respected. We want someone we respect. We want an equal, a thinking partner, a spiritual partner, you know, a best friend, all of these things that we yearn for in a partner. But collectively, we haven't really evolved our skill base to really navigate relationships in that way. So if you're, you know, if you're in a relationship, the commitment to grow together, right? The commitment to grow together, the commitment to understand each other's value systems, to respect each other. You know, people think that love has to left. Well, you know, love kind of as an emotion goes in and out, but it's really respect. Respect has to be the bottom line. We respect each other. We do not diminish each other. What, what, is, what do you mean? I mean, this sounds like such a basic question, but like, what is respect? What, what is respect? Wow, no one ever asked me that before. Okay, great. Let's because see we, we, I'm, you know, we're assuming, oh, yeah, respect. But I mean, if it was that easy, it would be easy. So I'm like, wait, wait a second. Let me just be a kindergarten for a moment. What is respect? What does that oh, I love really that. What mean is respect? in relationship with someone I think, else? I think it's to come into the relationship with enough humility and curiosity to not make someone bad and wrong for their thinking process and their choices, to not be shame-based around someone else's thinking process. Now, you can disagree and be respectful. You can feel hurt and not go to war, right? So it's the, it's the, it's the fundamental commitment to respect, to, to value that we all have choices. There are consequences to choices, but you can implement consequences with respect. So we're not tearing someone down. And I think that the, I think that the, um, the definition of abuse is the impulse to tear someone down, you know, to use uh, the trust that they've placed in you or the power that you're holding with them to, to diminish them in some fundamental way. And uh, so respect is about, you know, refraining from that lesser nature, 
that we're still kind of, you know, all of us have those impulses. I really normalize this. Yeah. So when we're talking about conscious uncoupling, we're recognizing that human beings haven't quite evolved to equality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We haven't like, so we, that is our task. As there were some generations, their task was to build a pyramid on their back, heavy labor, or to lay down railroad tracks, you know, so that people could get to the next level. Our task is in consciousness. We're laying down the tracks in consciousness. Like, how do we do this better? How do we separate? We're born to bond. And I think this soulmate to soul hate phenomenon is even nature's trick to keep us bonded. I was going to ask you about the soulmate to soul. I love that word, that soul hate. It's it's, it's classic. And so I was going to ask, what the hell happens? You know, here you are. Oh, the love of my life. I could imagine me without them. They're my past lives. I love them. And then when you break up, it's like sometimes people attack each other, try to destroy each other, and just a whole other side comes up. So why does that happen? Yeah, it's then it's actually in our brain and in our biology. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, a person who's enduring a breakup has the same brain patterns as someone who is undergoing the death of a loved one. And we go into uh, trauma expert Judith Herman from Harvard calls a rupture of attachment, which is what a breakup is, a rupture of attachment, one of our mo- more severe traumas. Mm-hmm. So it's a very underrated trauma. And we do go into fight or flight. We go to war. There's all sorts of somatic experiences that we're having. Uh, Our skin, our temperature will change. Burned in love that I got burned in love. If if you've really had your heart broken Mm -hmm. and you have been, you know, betrayed, Mm -hmm. your skin will feel like it's on fire sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, but we know it is you can't eat, you can't sleep, your hair falls out. You know, it, it's a somatic experience and it is an attack experience. Rejection, social rejection, this, this phenomenon of, you know, bad mouthing that person to your friends. And then, you know, they come to a party and there's like 12 people evil eyeing them. That's social rejection, you know, where we're fortifying our position by gathering evidence, you know, a relational field of evidence. It registers in the same part of the brain as physical pain. So I tell people, if you're pulling people on your side against that person, you have to imagine that it's the same as going over there and punching them in the face. Wow. So, you know, we're all kind of, we're all a hybrid of who human beings have been and who we are becoming. And the people listening to this podcast are on the transition team. We're already bought in. We're like, yeah. Let's go for self-actualization. Let's become more conscious. Let's do our best to birth a world that we feel proud to leave to future generations. And we better do it now because, oh my gosh, you know, things are escalating. So there's an urgency to becoming more conscious. To me, the, the conscious uncoupling, which brings into account the need to uh, calm down and to take these negative emotions and use them as the fuel for positive change, which is mm-hmm. step one of conscious. Well, I was going to ask, how, how do we do that? Because let's say a couple, they realize, okay, we're breaking up, but 
you know, many times there's so much charge and emotion and people aren't thinking straight and they love each other, but now it's just, it's a hot fire. Oh no, this is very dangerous. And by the way, there's a billion, there's a $50 billion industry in the United States alone, $50 billion a year spent on divorces. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is, this is divorce lawyers. This is all the experts. This is, you know, the the industry that has grown up around divorce since divorce became, you know, a much more commonplace thing in the last 50 years with, you know, Reagan introduced uh, the the no-fault divorce in California, Ronald Reagan, when he was governor in 1969. Before that, you know, people were unhappy in their relationships, but divorce wasn't very common because you had to actually prove that somebody had cheated on you or done something horrible you have to really or beat you you have to take them to court and shame them in order to get divorced so once no fault was in place and that's why so many kids in the 70s and the 80s actually in the 1980s and i'm talking about the statistics in the united states i know we have people from around the world but it's probably an indication of what's happening in other places too but in the 1980s those were the least parented generation ever because they were the more latchkey kids, you had single mothers who were now divorced, raising the children, had to go out and work, and there was no childcare. So the kids would come home and sit in front of the television or get into all sorts of trouble. You know, I started smoking at the age of 10. Wow. <laughs> I'd steal my mother's cigarettes. And I mean, I was just, you know, I was. I was one of those kids. I mean, I did that in the 60s, so I was kind of a precursor. But, you know, the moment that the the no divorce was unleashed, it, it created this kind of, you know, tidal wave of divorces. And, of course, most of them very unconscious because we yeah. didn't know how to do this. If we look at the state of the world, what's missing in many ways is the ability to forgive mm. our mistakes the ability to stay, uh, to transition and stay kind yes. from one form to another, right. right? As opposed to punish or get retribution or, you know, really, uh, you know, just do disastrous things with no amends made. Just kind of, you know, leaving your mess and it's for the other person to clean up. So conscious uncoupling is about how do I take responsibility for my part? How do I de escalate? The, the kind of primitive impulse to do harm because right. we all want to harm the person who harmed us. That's just human. How do I live? How do I do this in alignment with my values, my ethics, as opposed to these, you know, tidal waves of emotions? How do I even harness the energy of that emotion and point it in the direction of positive change, make amends, take responsibility for how I co-created this, you know, start to, inch my way towards the capacity to create a new form that sets everyone up to win. So that's what conscious uncoupling is. And it is five steps to answer your specific question. What do you do with those big emotions? You know, I I offer people um, a practice in step one, which is find emotional freedom, where we're, we're essentially using that tool of what psychologists call affect labeling. And that's the simple act of labeling your feelings. And this is based on studies that were done at UCLA, where um, they put uh, the people who are in the study, they 
they put them in front of a computer and just showed them and monitored their heart rate and their blood, their 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 know, their temperature and all the all of their somatic experiences, their brain waves, and they put across the screen one picture after another of people in uh, enraged, in a state of horror, in a state of deep depression, deep sorrow, deep hurt, and they were monitoring all of their somatic responses to these images. They then uh, put people, uh, another group of people, in the same study with the same images, but with a word that described the feeling that the person was having. Horror, rage, um, devastation. And they noticed that the somatic response was much less. And what they discovered is that language creates containment. So we're going to have difficult emotions at the end of love, but who, who has who? Do the emotions have me or do I have the emotions? And the moment that I can put a name to it, oh, this is rage that I feel. And I can just hold myself from a deeper center. Oh, sweetheart, I can see that you're feeling rage. And then I can even take it one step further. What is waking up in me? What is this rage wanting to birth in me? Well, it is the right to be treated with respect. It is the right to be in relationships when people tell, where people tell me the truth right from the get-go. Right? So there's some kind of reclamation of my right that's inherent in rage. Or if I'm feeling deep sorrow, like just a, a, an ocean of sorrow, what's waking up in me? The recognition that relationships are fragile and must be valued and treated beautifully. You know, that there's lessons to be learned about how to love one another, how not to cross certain lines with each other, that some damage cannot be undone, some words cannot be unspoken. That's a very hard lesson to learn. But once you see what's waking up, then you can set an intention from this moment on. I will learn the ways of love. I will begin to show up with greater integrity in my relationship. Or from this moment on, I will engage what needs to be engaged in order to ensure that my relationships are equal and mutual and that I am with someone who has demonstrated good character and that they do have the capacity to love me in the way that I need to be loved. Right? So there's something waking up. There's a personal bottom in a broken heart. And we have to harness the energy. Most people get stuck, unfortunately, and many people go on really to create a lesser life in the aftermath of a breakup. Because if you've yeah. ever had your heart broken, I mean, my gosh, you do not want that to happen again. I have met so many people who have never really opened their heart again right. after that experience. Yeah, I was going to ask one of the questions was for someone who has been heartbroken and filled with grief, how, I guess two things, how, how can they process that grief? Uh, and, and what do they need to do or, or how can they really let go? 
Uh, you know, I'm all about the actual lived experience because we all know these concepts. Yeah. But I get things a lot in my work. I go down into the body because mm. you know, our brains go quicker than our bodies do. So you have to know where the feelings are in your body. You have to take the time to say, sweetheart, what are you feeling? I can see that you're feeling and just welcome them in. But for not just feeling your feelings, I'm not a big advocate for feeling your feelings. You have to hold it for like, so what I help people to do is to, you know, go into your angel nature, go into your priest or your priest self, your priestess self. And, 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 or if you're a good parent, you are a good parent or you're a good auntie and you know, you know how to take care of a sick child, or if you're an exceptional friend, people come to you for advice because you have a compassionate heart. That's the self you need to be connected with when you go and say, sweetheart, what are you feeling? It's like a, you know, I can take this. I can hold this. I can hold your humanity. I'm not judging it. So you begin to de-escalate the intensity of the feelings when you're able to do that. What's waking up? Well, what's the intention I want to set moving forward? That's the first step. You have to deal with yourself where you are. The other thing is we, this is where we also get, this is step two now. We also get stuck when we go to take responsibility for our part. We get stuck in blaming the other person, or if we try responsible, we're trying to say our part, we tend to shame ourselves. What is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? Well, my mother really screwed me up. So we're victimized. We're in this, we're victimized by our unconsciousness. We're victimized by our choices that we keep making outside of conscious awareness, or we're victimized by the other person. When we've been traumatized in any trauma, Trauma experts will tell you that the mind will, will ruminate on that story over and over. Why that's happening is because whatever just happened is, is bigger than our capacity to hold and integrate, right? So we're just, the, the brain is just trying to wrap itself around this because very often breakups are what is called a schema fracture. You just assume if I'm a good person, Good things will happen to me. You don't expect that somebody just steals $100,000 out of your bank account that they were lying all along. Like some of these breakup stories are horrible that I've heard. Or you just assume that, you know, by the time I'm 36 and I meet the one that we'll get married, we'll have babies, and then suddenly they choose out. They, and so it, it kind of breaks your sense of how life should be in a way that's unfair, so not only are you unsafe with that person who was your safe home, and now they're not your safe home, but your body is still kind of longing for their voice because you still, you know, it's that weird phenomenon of, you know, the, the, the person you loved is now betrayed you, but the moment you hear their voice, you get calm, mm -hmm. right? It's that weird because, because relationships regulate us. And we get addicted to each other in the best of ways. We need each, each other. So, you know, you're not really safe with that person anymore. You're not safe with God anymore because God just turned the world inside out, upside mm -hmm. down. A lot of people stop praying just at the moment you actually have to pray the most. Right, right. So, so anyway, so this is all the, what's happening 
So when we're telling the story, because we're trying to figure it out, we're going, oh, wait a minute, three months ago when he made that phone call, I bet that was her, right? We're trying to, what happened? How did this go down? We're telling that story usually from a, a, a place of victimization. So, so, so in other words, it won't actually liberate us because wherever we're victimized, there's no access to power. And that's the contraction. If I can't trust love, we'll come to conclusions like I can't trust love, I can't trust men, men only want one thing, or I can't trust myself, I'm really bad at relationships, and that's the contraction. So where we need to go instead is we have to learn how to self-reflect in a way that leads us to growth beyond who we were when we created the dynamics of that relationship. So I like to tell people because they're all stuck in that, you know, this was done to me. It was so unfair. I said, look, 97% the other person's fault. What's your 3%? (laughs) (laughs) There's still 3%. (laughs) I didn't speak up. I turned away from the red flags. I minimized what that person said. They told me right at the beginning they didn't want a relationship. I minimized it. You know, I was in I, 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 I was in such a fantasy or I was overgiving as a way to try and prove that I was worthy of being chosen. There's some self-abandonment in there. There's some way that you turned away from your knowing, were lying to yourself. So I'd like to say, like, whatever the other person, like, what are you blaming them for? Well, he was such a, a liar. Okay, so how do you lie to yourself? Right. Right. So that's now, why do I do that? I'm not trying to, you know, balance out the blame here. This is beyond blame. This is about you have to know that you can trust your judgment moving forward. You have to know this won't happen again. And you have to make empowered meaning of this shattering. You know, life lessons are very expensive. Love lessons in particular. (laughs) There, you know, you don't want to ever have to go through this again. Learn the lesson. Yeah. My 3% is, is that I disappear my own intelligence, my own needs, my own feelings, because I'm trying so desperately to get someone not to leave me. And so I just create like a pseudo oneness with them. And I don't really presence myself. And as a matter of fact, I even lose connection with what I feel and need. I'm much more connected to what they feel and need. That has to be changed. That has to change. And you get the cost. When you do a relationship like that, it tends to not go well. Right? So that's step two. So I really take people deep. So when you say, how do you really do this? Like, you want this to transform your life. Like, this is like your your opening. You break it. This is what the Buddhists mean. They say you break your heart open. Right. So then step three, we look at the the lifelong patterns of relationship. I go back to what I call your source fracture story, the original break in your heart, the original break in belonging that you've been trying to fix your whole life. Somehow you thought this person was going to be the one. And all they did is re-wound (laughs) you now in the same exact way. Oh, man. Such a joy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So what's real? So then you go back to the three year old and you say, sweetheart, Mm -hmm. you know, you are lovable. Even Mm -hmm. even though your mother's limited in her capacity to give you love, you are so lovable. 
what about if someone, they know they need to love themselves in the way that you're talking? Because when you say it, it's just, oh, it just sounds, I mean, you can feel the love bubbling up. But, you know, there's folks that you just can't access that loving from oneself. Yeah. We intellectually understand, like, yeah, yeah, I know I need to love myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Catherine, I don't freaking feel it. I just, I know I need to. I'm saying the words. Trust but I, but, but I don't feel the connection. Yeah. What then? Well, it's very, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. So what I do is, again, look for the part of you that is a great friend. Oh. Right? Or a spiritual practitioner, because you love your friend. Your friend comes and said, I'm done with love. I suck at this. I'm never letting anyone close to me. But you know your friend really wants a family. And you, and you look at your friend. You're kind. You say, I know it feels that way right now, but it won't feel like this forever. And I believe that you are going to have the family you des- you deserve to have, and that you so yearn to have. I believe it your, is your destiny to have love. Like you can just it just rolls off your tongue, <laughs> right? But what happens is when we are re wounded, we go back into the "I'm not lovable" story. We don't rem- you want to locate the story in your body. Where is the emotional center of that story? And how old is that part of me? So what's happening, Coot, is that we're overly identifying with our emotions. We become the three-year-old. Yeah. So that when I was three and my mother was distracted and ne- negligent and i was alone and i was having the experience of oh i'm unloved there was no adult presence there was no angel or auntie or you know priestess who came and looked me in the eye and said sweetheart you are loved by all of life and your mother just has a limited capacity but you are so loved and so lovable Right. There wasn't that presence. So we have to go back to the three year old self. So I think when you're saying, you know, we can't do these things intellectually. So I really take the time. Where is this in your body? How old is that self? Extend your love to that part of you. I'm right here. And the first thing you do is you repair the relationship you have with yourself. I love you. I love you. You know, I mean, eventually you have to get to, I am worthy of love. I have the, I am, it is my destiny to love and be loved. I am made from the love of God and I have the power to learn the skills of how to root down love. Like you have to actually get there where you can claim that for yourself. But there's this need for us to connect with the three-year-old first. Okay. And you say, sweetheart, I love you. I love you. I'm right here. Or sweetheart, you're not alone. I'm right here. You have to listen to what the conversation, what's the I am that that part of you has now defaulted again. One of the most brilliant songs was song of the year. I can't remember which year, but alone again by Gilbert O'Sullivan. Alone. You remember that song? No, you don't even know the song. Okay. Alone again, naturally. I wish I remembered the lyrics, but it's it's <laughs> it's brilliant because it's like the ode to what I call the false center. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just because that's how it feels. It feels like, oh, I'm back here again. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not loved by, oh, this, this story again. And I'm in it. So I have to find the part of me that's not in it. And mentor that young, how, and, the, and one of the key questions, how old are you, sweetheart? The moment you say, how old are you? You now have two parts of you there. Yes, yes. You see, so that's like the key question. How old are you, sweetheart? Oh, you're five. Honey, I got that that's what you made that mean. That is not true about you. That's not true. I'm right here. You're safe with me. Now, if, if the younger self has been abandoned by you, has not been safe with you, you have to say, I know. I've internalized the worst of my parents. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to do that to you anymore. You have to make an amends to yourself. So if you notice, conscious uncoupling, the first three steps are all the inner work. Okay, it's all the inner growth work. Then we deal with the other person in four and five. What's what's the next steps in four and five? Well, four and five are about evolving the story forward. Four deals with forgiveness of yourself, forgiveness of the other person. Uh, really being able to kind of clean up any of the resentment residue um, that might be left. And and very often you can't do that with the other person because they're gone already, right? So you you can do it in a soul to soul. I I teach people how to do, this is all in the book, by the way. I teach people how to do a soul to soul and there's a Mind Valley quest that I created too. But I teach people how to do a soul to soul where you're calling in the highest and the best of that person. I tell I tell people if you're afraid of that person because they were abusive, make them much smaller than you. <laughs> okay. And put a firewall between you so they can't, you know, touch you. It's to have a conversation where you actually stand in your the fullness of your power and um, or you could, you know, imagine them making an amends to you from their higher self. So you're looking to complete the incompletions, and you can do it in your imagination. You choose a new future. If you have children with that person, you're going to say our intention is, you know, my intention that I hope becomes our intention is that our children have a happy childhood, that we're wonderful co-parents together. Or if somebody, you know, did egregious things to you, say, you know, the future of this relationship is that we will no longer be connected, but I will always remember you as my dark guru who woke me up to the consequence of giving away my power. Because I was going to ask, like, it's hard to forgive someone when they were so uh, abusive or dark, as you're saying. So this, this, this idea, could you share a bit more about that? Because someone might be listening and going, yeah, I mean... I can't forgive them for beating me to a pulp or I can't forgive them for being so. Well, you don't have to. I mean, because the goal of a conscious uncoupling is simply to be free yourself. Right. So if we're walking around with a festering resentment, we're basically allowing the other person to uh, number one, kind of characterize the connection and uh, you're giving your power to them to define what's possible for you moving forward. So this is about the restoration of power. And 
freedom. So when you own your 3%, which once you start to do that, you really see, oh, I, I get it. It's kind of 59% actually, but, you know, <laughs> or maybe 97% was me and maybe 3% of them. <laughs> I don't know. But so you start seeing things differently and you make an amends to yourself. And very often, you know, you have to remember love is unconditional, but relationships are not mm-hmm. because relationships depend upon trust. So you, you, you know, you can banish someone from ever being in your life again, and you can thank them for the life lesson, for being the catalyst for you to wake up. And then you can say, and you're no, you're no longer welcomed in my life. But when we talk about forgiveness in this sense, we just, we just mean releasing the karma to God. So let me give you a, a lead with a story. We're, we're, we're almost sure. out of time here. But so when I was doing calling in the one for myself, I was first discovering the calling in the one process. I set an intention for a future that looked ludicrous, but I started to live into that future and ask the questions, what will I need to give up in order to become who I'd need to be for that to happen? What would I need to begin to cultivate and grow? And what's my next step? And that's basically a modification of our friend, Michael Beckwith's Mm -hmm. uh, visioning practice. So I'm in that conversation and I have a raging resentment towards a former boyfriend. I mean, I was so mad at him. And if I told you all the story of exactly what he did, you'd be mad at him too. (laughs) He was really, really unfair. And I felt like a great debt was due me. And I'm not going to go into the details of it. I do talk about it in Calling in the One if anybody's that curious. But um but I'm meditating. I'm on one, actually Michael Beckwith's meditation retreat. It was over New Year's and we were all, this was way before Michael was so well known. So there's about mm. 60 of us in the room. And basically you're just sitting in silence together for three days. Mm. And I know that I have to let go of this resentment because I do not want to bring it into my next relationship. So I'm inside of the question, what would I need to let go of? But I can't let it go because it was so unfair and I'm living with the consequence of it. (laughs) So I'm kind of struggling with it. I'm like, God, please, you got to help me with this. Like this has to be real. This can't be a pseudo forgiveness. I got to let this go. So I go outside and I'm looking up at this beautiful full moon and it's winter. So even in LA, you know, there's winter and the, the trees lose their leaves. So I'm looking this big old gnarly tree up through the, barren branches of the tree and I'm suddenly transported into another realm I don't even know how to describe it but you know we have these experiences sometimes when you're meditating for hours and I suddenly feel like there's a host of angels surrounding me and they talk to me not like an external voice but just as this knowing and this is what they said they said you're right a great debt is due you But as long as you're holding on to him as the one who's going to give you restitution, you are blocking us from giving you your due. Nice. Yeah. And that's when I realized, you know, you have to let people go to their own karma. Mm. You cannot outgive God. If a great debt is due you, you have to create the conditions to be able to receive it. And I will tell you, I let him go in that moment. And um, he ended up years later becoming a good friend. He has now transitioned to the other side, but I was there for him when he was transitioning to the best of my ability. But one blessing after another, after another, like crazy big blessings. Wow. 
started to come to me. Mm. So, you know, the universe has a way of working itself out, but we block the good that is due us when we hold on to that person has to be the one. So that's what I was able to give up. It's sometimes, you know, it's almost like turning away like that person's karma is no longer my business. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. You know, look, um, there's, there's a final question I, I would love to ask, and I'm curious on your, on your response for those listening in. We've been talking about the conscious uncoupling part. Um, for someone who might be listening and saying, okay, I, I uncoupled or I'm single and I don't meet anyone, no one shows up. I'm sure you've heard this in your practice. Yeah. Uh, is there someone for everyone? Is there a one for everyone? Is there a one? Well, it's interesting because I do think, and this is a great question because what I hear from people who do calling in the woods, well, my astrological chart says yes. no one for me in this lifetime. So here's the thing. I think that there are decisions that get made before we're born. We set up a karma. Um, there are forces, uh, meridians, energies, all sorts of things that are happening all the time. But I believe that we're largely asleep to our power mm. and that there's nothing more holy about who you were before you incarnated than who you are right now, and that there is no fixed future. I myself was not supposed to be a mother. Wow. I had astrologers tell me that. I had numerologers tell me that. And I <laughs> stood on a mountaintop in my meditation, and I said, that does not work for me. Mm. I didn't have a happy childhood. I didn't have love in my childhood. I refused, and I, I knew I had a destiny to, to help thousands of people. I'm like, no, I need to have a family myself. And I wrestled with God. It was like in the Old Testament, you know, you have that image of Joseph wrestling an angel. I will not let you go to you give me a blessing. And so I started talking to the soul of my child when I was doing Colleen the One. Wow. I want to be your mother. Please bring your father to me. And I will tell you, it just unfolded in the most magical of ways. And here's the, the proof of that, too. So when I got pregnant, it was before our wedding. I was, you know, and it was right, which was so funny because when I tried on my wedding dress, they said, whatever you do, do not get pregnant. <laughs> and then I went out and got pregnant. So, <clears throat> of course, outgrew the wedding dress immediately. So I got pregnant, but it was such a holy moment. You know, it was one of those moments where, you hear women talking about like, oh, I knew the instant. Like, I don't know. How do you know those things? You, some of us just know. Mm. Some of us just know. You just have that grace moment where you just can feel the life force come into your body. Mm. So that was, it was so holy that I didn't say anything to Mark because oh, I was, it was outside of language to me. So mm. I was just like crying because I was so moved. I was just, but it was a silent joy and I hadn't yet shared this with him. So we go out to dinner two nights later, I still had not said anything. I knew I was pregnant beyond a shadow of a doubt. He goes out to put money in the parking meter and he comes back in and he's freaked out. His eyes are like saucers. He says, Catherine, you're pregnant. I said, well, I know I'm pregnant, but how do you know I'm pregnant? He said, because when I was putting money in the meter, a little soul came to me and said I was going to be its father. 
Wow. wow. So I tell that story because, I mean, wow. obviously, when you open to the magic of the universe, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot yeah. in the unseen. Yeah. But you can change your destiny. You can change your karma. We all have power to determine our own destiny. Yes. And you work with the creative energies of life. And, you know, you might not have known something before you incarnated that you now know. Yeah. The world is different than it was when you were born or right before you were born. And you can negotiate with with life because there really is no fixed future. Mm. I love what you said, that who we are now in this moment is even more powerful than who we were back then. Yeah, just as holy. Just as holy. Just as holy. I really want everyone listening in to, to really, really, really take that in. It's such a beautiful statement. Catherine, honestly, I feel like I could speak to you forever. Um, I just love your heart, your generosity. I feel you. Just You just shine through, uh, even though we're not physically together, but your soul just shines through. And I feel yeah. the connection. And you're such a blessing to so many. You've been a blessing in my life. I just want to thank you for yeah. just being you. you know. And I really hope everyone... As you're listening in, you're, you're feeling this amazing woman's heart. She's an amazing human being. Um, you need to check out her work, Calling in the One, Conscious Uncoupling. Get the books. Your yeah. life will be tremendously blessed. Share with everyone. Is there anything you want the well, folks listening Ka- in so to know? So people go to katherinewoodwardthomas.com. I send out a, a weekly free teaching on love love out loud it's very simple and elegant and and poignant and uh that's how you kind of get into my world so just a an open invitation from katherine woodwardthomas.com folks we'll put the the links in the show notes katherine thank you so much everyone i told you this was going to be a very special interview share with your friends write a review send me an email kublaxon kublaxon.com I'd love to know your key takeaways from today's special episode. Share with everyone you know. Until next week, love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at cooplaxon.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.